Welcome to this new episode of Content Rookie. I feel like this episode has been coming a long time and doesn't really need an introduction. We've decided to title it How to be Creative When the World is on Fire. And it's essentially just an open conversation between me and my friend Anders where we try to make sense of what's going on in the world and how we can continue to be creatives and produce good work as creatives and what we do to hang in there. So listen in if you're curious, and as usual, 100% authentic and probably 25% controversial. It's a little bit of a longer episode than my usual episodes, but I think it was worth it to keep this vastly unedited. And I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is Nicole from Content Rookie. Welcome to the podcast, Anders. What do you do? Thank you. It's exciting to tell you what I do because I've kind of switched what I say now. I'm a design advisor and wow. art director and graphic designer and also illustrator. I'm a I'm an independent creative. Let's land there. Wow. Okay, so design advisor, like what does that mean? That's not what you call yourself, just like the last time you were on this pod, which I think we just right. discussed was like three-ish years ago. So tell us more. Yeah, so... I mean, in a way, it sounds really pretentious, but what ended up happening in my career over the past few years is that I'm like, wait, my best work happens when I just talk to people about their design projects. And, you know, I have all this technical expertise. I come from a very, very technical um, education. And then I've worked within graphic design, digital design, um, and spatial design on solving problems a lot from the technical side, but also from the conceptual end of things. And I've realized that a lot of times I will work with clients and what excites me the most and what I think excites the client the most is when we just talk about these things and they kind of get to have a sounding board, someone who listens to what it is they're trying to do, um, where they're trying to go and a little bit what the technical difficulties might be. Um, a lot of times you just find those solutions once you have the little ping pong match of a conversation. So that's what I'm trying to really lean into now. Wow, I think that sounds super interesting. How do you, I'm curious, how do you pitch this to clients? Because when I hear this, of course, as like a fellow designer, I can see how this is super valuable and is like you say, specifically what maybe smaller businesses need but I can also see how they would never realize that themselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you tell me, I, I'm working on this now. This is very new. Uh, and I'm kind of workshopping a little bit how I pitch this best. But often I would say it's in the context of a specific project. So for example, it's someone who needs to develop their visual identity. So, you know, I have that knowledge that I can uh, add to it as well and almost like... Um, tailor it to be a visual identity project, but it becomes almost more of a conversational project. So often trying to tie it to something more tangible than just like, hi, I have ideas. Let's talk about problems. Yeah, I really like that. That sounds super, super interesting. And it's funny to me because when I freelance, I'm often brought in in more of an advisory role as well. Like oftentimes kind of the niche I I was in as a freelancer was mostly around, well, developing tone and voice, developing style guidelines, coaching people to write better content. 
Um, and while in the beginning of my career, I did that a lot just by, you know, producing that content myself and maybe creating some kind of documentation. The more I've advanced in my career, the more it's just basically become a little bit what you're talking about, where I just try to streamline the client's ideas um, and make them more tangible and make them something that they can actually use to produce their own content moving forward. So I like that, but I haven't really used the word advisory in that context ever so i'm interested in this <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's it's um it feels maybe sometimes too vague or whatever i mean i think it's totally fair to question the value for a company i don't think people are super excited to hire a role that they've never heard of basically um but those advisory roles especially coming from someone who has worked with the craft and then coming into that sort of um, big picture conceptual stage, I think it's so valuable because you have these people who actually have the technical know-how and can sort of both dream freely, but also kind of hit the brakes when someone's going in a direction that you just know cannot be done, which is a little bit of a downer role, but at the same time, that can be fun. <laughs> Yeah, but that's also a very, very necessary role. Yeah. Um, so today's episode, we're talking a little bit about how to be a creative or how to be creative when the world is on fire. Um, and I think like with talking a little bit about what you do, we maybe already tap into that a little because you've been working with design, graphic design, illustrations for many, many years, mostly as a freelancer, right? And now you've kind of pivoted your career again into the design advisory. And I'm sure there's also creative reasons behind this. So I'm curious to hear how that thought process went and why you felt like this is the direction I want to take my work. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, first of all, the world truly is a wild place to be right now. And I don't even know how to keep up any form of energy. But um, so this this year, I sort of this this pivot into this role kind of stemmed more from a desire to pivot into a different sector or field. Um, so I've really tried this year to sort of break into more of the sustainability and B Corp fields, uh, which I started my career in sustainability in Washington, DC. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I am naive and happy. And that's just going to work out for me to immediately make that work. Um, not really the reality. Uh, I always go into things really optimistically. And I'm just like, this is going to work out. Um, so in a way, I so I try to really kind of make a uh, sustainability career out of this year and it's slowly 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 happening but i've had to have a little bit of a reality check and just go you know i also have this existing client base uh, i have existing work and i have fields that i know well um, and there's no need to throw that away necessarily but in all this sort of soul searching and you know what what's the value i even provide to clients that's where i've sort of come to this realization that I am not super energized by graphic design anymore. Hmm. Uh, I found myself talking to other graphic designers um, at an event this year, 
And I was like, oh, I just realized that my least favorite part of design is to uh, design. <laughs> I think, I think honestly, over the past few years with lockdowns and just like the amount of uh, conflict and change that we've faced collectively, um, I personally and a lot of people around me have had this sort of uh, creative exhaustion. Mm. And I don't know, I mean, maybe you feel the same way, but I think a lot of times there's this sense of just kind of like, okay, but why? Yeah. Why Why be creative? Why try to find these like cool new solutions or even why express myself? It's kind of... I've always that's... felt like, even from being a very young child, I think I've told the story before, my, my, my dad is a professor in physics and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and I have three younger sisters and I was never like creativity was always like, okay, like it's something you can do as a hobby in your free time, but that's not serious work. It's that's not, that can't be your job. And I kind of was raised with, with this idea that any kind of creative work is just life on hard mode because you're never going to make enough money. You're never going to be taken seriously, or let's say not never, but your chances of that happening are very, very slim. And now that I actually have a very successful career in a creative field, I think my parents are still extremely shocked about this. <laughs> and um, I think they still, I, I, I'm not sure if they believe me um, when I tell them what I do and like what people pay me for it and the results that it has. And sometimes when they, you know, clearly see the fruits of my labor, like when they walk into my house or when they see I'm going on a nice vacation, I think they somewhat still wonder if I'm not just terribly in depth and <laughs> faking yeah, the fact yeah. that this can be serious work. So for me, that's a little bit the background of, um, yeah, why am I even doing this? What am I doing this for? And my story is very, for me, it was very clear. Like I started by studying engineering, material engineering, by the way, which is such a terribly dry field. Apologies to any potential material engineers that are listening. Um, and it was so bad for me that I ended up having severe depression. I became severely anorexic within the first three to four semesters. I had to drop out of school. I went to a clinic. Um, I had to recover. And in a way, it was good that my life completely broke down because essentially I only had the choice to try the complete opposite, which in that case was doing what I actually felt like I wanted to do. And for me, it was always, I always loved writing. I always loved creative arts and design and I always wanted to do that and I just kind of went in that direction and for me it turned out fine thank god that being said of course it was a lot of hard hard work and against the goodwill of a lot of people which of course um, ruffled a lot of feathers as well but um, so for me I know the answer to why am I even being creative and that is because I can not not be it <laughs> because I know what that did to me um yeah sorry a bit of a long s story to answer that but i don't know what what do you think is the answer for you yeah but i think that's so important actually to have that kind of looking back and like thinking about where you've been and what you've done or whatever to experience the need to be where you are now um i thought about this too it's it's funny because in a way I'm, I'm in this like creative field um and i've had moments this year 
where I'm just like, do I like, do I even want to work creatively? Like, or do I want to, I don't know, work at a reception desk and talk to people because I love people. Um, and in a way, even getting into graphic design, which is what I studied, I studied graphic design because I didn't think fine art would give me a career. Mm. That was like my, I wanted to do fine art. So I did graphic design. Uh, but thinking back now, I think this year has been such a bit of a soul searching year in terms of like, why do I create? What is it that drives this need for me? Um, and I keep coming back to this sort of childhood memories of, especially in school, we, there were a few of us who liked to draw and we would just like draw little characters on fill a sheet with little characters like aliens, monsters, animals. And then we would just like assign a character to all of our friends, <laughs> whatever. And so there was this kind of like a little bit of a world building part of it that I came back to this year. And I'm like, I think that's kind of the core of what creativity is for me. It's this like almost fictional storytelling or myth-making that excites me so much. Yeah. And I have this like desire to create new worlds. It's exactly the same for me. I'm so happy you're saying that because I think a lot of people would just associate this kind of wish or desire with writing. But like you say, this is kind of the core force of any kind of creative work, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think... I think it's helpful. I mean, so here's what I'm going to say. When when it feels awful to be creative, to work creatively, or when there's uh, no clarity on even the why, I think it's helpful to look back and kind of revisit what brought energy in the past and kind of what started the whole thing. But I will also say that sometimes I find myself just like, getting too caught up in that just being like what does it mean right. or how do i get back to that and it's like you know, I, I don't know what i'm trying to say but basically if it's in the past that's that's where it is draw inspiration from it when that serves you but don't stay there yeah but i think you have a good point there also which is that like the creative desire is is basically your intuition, or at least that's how it feels for me. Like it's it's mm. a need that I have. It helps me make sense. It helps me express myself. But it also, I feel at times, and and this is where I've been struggling a little bit in the work context. It, it makes me very vulnerable, right? Because to do my work well, I have to expose more parts of me that I maybe wouldn't have to expose if I were, you know, working with spreadsheets like my husband. <laughs> he doesn't do any creative work and and that's right for him and he enjoys that and he has a much easier time leaving his work at work. It's very difficult for me because I mull it over and yeah, I just c connected much more with myself, which is I think a problem or maybe a struggle yeah. that a lot of creatives have, right? Yeah, because it that's where it becomes a bit tied to your value as a person. Right as opposed to kind of like your value as a worker as well in terms of working creatively. I struggle with this a lot actually with, um, especially as a freelancer, I think sometimes I'm just like, if people don't want to hire me, then I suck as a person. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, I love the fact that I get to bring so much of myself into 
all that I create every, every time. I mean, the intuition part and the bringing yourself part, I think is what's so exciting about it. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. And of course also struggled with rejection and feeling like that's very personal, but I have a little bit of a hot take here that is different from what most people would say, but I actually think it is personal in a lot of cases because I think that people do hire specifically creatives mostly based on personality. Um, yeah. I think a lot of clients don't even know what to look for in a portfolio and they will hire you somewhat based on cost, of course, if there is a specific budget, but also a lot based on your personality. I think that yeah. is a truth we have to accept I see a lot of people on LinkedIn specifically talking about like, that's not how it is. Like it's never personal, blah, blah, blah. I really disagree with this, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, people sense an energy too. And I actually, um, <laughs> in, a, in a way, I'm very grateful because I know that I'm easy to work with and I am nice. So <laughs> people, people tend to have a good vibe working with me. And so I can get more work that way which for me is very helpful. A lot, a lot of my creative work is uh, behind non-disclosure agreements, so I can't share it. Yeah, exactly. And so I often have that feeling of just like, oh shit, my portfolio just looks like garbage. So I basically have to go shake hands in person and meet someone I so see. that they yeah, but that's see the personality. The, that's the more successful way to go. I've, I've been reflecting about this a lot. I've been doing a lot of hiring over the last couple of years, both contractors that I've brought on or freelancers as well as in-house. And oftentimes I've tried to bring on people or at least referred people that I know personally that I've worked with before and that I know are good at their jobs. But I was mm -hmm. shocked at how bad they performed in <laughs> interviews or conversations with other stakeholders. And yeah. um, that's when I realized, wow, like that's actually something I am quite good at, which funnily enough, then made me question how good I actually am at my job if I am yeah, just a personality yeah. hire. <laughs> uh, I know so there's mean. no winning, Anders. It's the imposter syndrome is always going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, maybe we just are imposters. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but I think, I do think that something I really believe in as a creative worker is that you really you really should be easy to work with yeah as a creative like you can do the most amazing designs but if you are unable to collaborate with people then it's not really you're not really designing in my eyes like yeah. i've these like i don't know nothing irks me more than arrogance in creativity where people are just like unable to I don't know take feedback or um, meet people in the middle because I'm just like I mean personally what I think is fun about design and creativity is the collaborative part of it yeah. so this is where I now have to be careful what I say to not <laughs> expose anyone around me but yeah. like so as a content designer obviously all I do is collaborate I rarely work on anything on my own I always work closely with stakeholders and of course specifically designers and the amount of designers that have made it quite far in their career and have never learned to take or even give feedback and do not know how to collaborate with other design disciplines. So this could be content design, motion design, anything really. Um, th there are a lot of these designers in all kinds of places. I mean, I've seen them pretty much everywhere I've worked, but it still is shocking to me 
how yeah. as a creative you can advance your career so far by basically just bulldozing over other people's input and ideas. And I think if you're very intelligent and very good at what you do, of course you can still produce good designs, but I think even the best designers would benefit from just opening up to yeah. feedback, specifically when they have the privilege of working with someone like me, like a content design specialist that could significantly improve their designs with a couple of tweaks. So yeah, that's something I am still quite shocked about. But then again, you know, I tried to empathize with these people and think about the fact that maybe, you know, maybe they're burned out. Maybe they don't want to work in late stage capitalism and just want to get it done. Like I, I try to look yeah. at it that way. And that usually helps me not take it so personally. But the shock is definitely still there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a really good perspective to have, though. And I will, I will try to emulate that in my own work as well to have that open mind towards it um but i yeah I, I there was something you posted i think on linkedin recently about like the difference between leading with vulnerability and kind of the the awareness that if you just were less human you would go farther yeah. uh, in a career and i thought about that too and i think i mean this year i've try to grow my business or change my business and thinking about a lot of like sales techniques or just like how to get ahead. And I kind of have gotten to this conclusion where I'm just like, okay, well, if success is meshed or like is created by sort of like losing that humanity and just like bulldozing, then honestly, I don't know if success is very important to me. Yeah. Yeah, and this brings us a little bit to what we talked about before we hit record, right? We talked a little bit about AIs being taken further now. There's an AI pin coming out. People are, seem to be very excited about it. Uh, and all you and I can think about is how crazy it is that we're developing AIs to essentially replace any kind of thinking we have to do ourselves, right? This AI pin can translate what you're saying to other languages so you don't have to bother learning them anymore and... Uh, can do all kinds of things for you. It can rewrite your text messages in a different tone and voice so they sound more excited or friendlier mm -hmm. or whatnot. And that's ex essentially what being human is and what you, you need to use your brain for. And at the same time, we have yet to build machines that can uh, effectively clean our houses or build new houses and do manual labor. And I think for me, that's just very telling. And I sometimes wonder do people really not see this even though in my eyes it's very obvious what's going on here in terms of the ruling class and where the world is going or are people just too afraid to think about this i mean i've always been very i'm an avid reader and i i love to read philosophy and i've probably pretty much read anything that's out there on that and um i i'm quite scared at how much we are actually really fulfilling some of those predictions that philosophers and historians have have had for for you know decades or hundreds of years but we don't seem to be aware of it i just read a book this weekend on um i don't remember what it was called but there was a quote from john maynard keynes who in like i think it was 1930 said that because of technological advancement by the year 2000 people will not have to work more than 15 hours um, a week. And obviously, 
technology has advanced much more than he could have guessed. And obviously we could get by working 15 hours a week. Let's not kid ourselves. I know it's yeah. controversial to admit this, but yes, people, we could get by with this, but we don't, right? So we make up, oh no, I remember what the book was called. It was called Bullshit Jobs. <laughs> and oh it's, yeah, it's, I've seen this. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite good. It basically just talks about the fact that we keep up making jobs and making things more inefficient so we can keep people employed so people don't think and revolt. That's the gist yeah. of it. I mean, it's yeah. like 300 pages long, so there's more to it. But um, yeah, and that is for me just a really scary development. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think there's a part of me that just like doesn't get it. I guess there's a part of me that gets this sort of like AI boom in terms of like people being excited about new stuff and tech, sure. Not that AI necessarily even is that new. I think a lot of the stuff that we're like, oh, holy shit, this is so cool, is stuff where I'm just like, well, we've had like auto-complete sentences for a long time. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say is that it's, there's this idea that we just need to be so much more productive right. as a like species almost. And it's like, we need to, yeah, there's, there's this productivity. What is it called? The like Protestant work ethic that is also kind of like designed to keep us working and not revolting. And there's a little bit, I think there's like this need to kind of stop and go like, why? why is this needed uh, like because like, what shareholders is on this because shareholders <laughs> yeah because capitalism yes. because money <laughs> these are the times that i'm just like should i truly just like learn how to i don't know hunt animals with bow and arrows so that i'm prepared for <laughs> uh the I, I i've always had like this this draw towards a dystopia and I'm just like, wait, now it's happening. <laughs> we'll see how I actually do. Cause I love, um, I love reading sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Um, and which feels like a new thing in my life, but that's one of those places where I also have that same feeling of reading like philosophy or whatever. I'm just yeah. like, Oh, we we're kind of just like doing this thing. We know isn't going to be so great. And we're imagining, you know, people who write sci-fi imagine future worlds. And sometimes it gets a little scared because I'm like, mm, that's probably going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I used to read more sci-fi than I do now. But my reflection has always been like a lot of the things that felt like totally abstract in those books that were maybe written in the 80s or 90s now are kind of a reality. And we yeah. don't even really talk about it. I mean, yeah, it's... It's it's a it's a wild place to be in. <laughs> yeah. Also the whole I mean anything that's like wearable tech or implanted tech I th this is where it stops for me. I'm just like I I'm not even excited about a new iPhone anymore or a new iPad. Yeah. Like I how do I find excitement about putting a computer inside my body? Right. For me, it's also like what you said, maybe you should learn how to hunt with bow and arrow. Like for me, I've also noticed not even consciously, I've really moved towards, yeah, I kind of back in time, like my house basically looks like it was furnished in the 60s and 70s. And 
I constantly annoy my husband to get more firewood so so we can make more fires and I started cooking again much more and tried to do that with seasonal vegetables and all of that and it's just because I'm just so exhausted by what the world has become and I think this is one of the reasons we want to do this episode because we feel like we're not the only ones a lot of the conversations I have with my friends go in a similar direction Yet we don't see it being talked about that much because the media is still a lot about output and productivity, like you said. And um, yeah, and I mean, I think we both probably are in very privileged positions. You live in Amsterdam. I live in Stockholm. Those are very good countries and very safe countries. And we have a lot of protections should we ever not be able to work or need to take a break. But I'm curious how you feel about this, because I since having my daughter I've had a lot of discussions with my husbands where with my husbands with my husband <laughs> I only have one <laughs> where he basically um has said hey but you could just you know go down to work spend more time with the baby or like do something else I recently got into pottery and I would love to to spend more time doing it but you know it takes a lot of time so he's just like but you you know just go down in hours you can't afford it and I struggle doing that and I tried for a heart for a long time to get behind why do I not just want to go down in hours and work a little bit less and the reason for me is I don't know if this is my personality or maybe this is also something you recognize as a creative is I feel like if I have to do any kind of work for someone else for money mm-hmm. then I might as well do the maximum and get paid the maximum because for me I feel like I can only truly disconnect and rest when there's no work so essentially what I'm saying is I think working part-time wouldn't help me because I would still have to do X hours of work every day. Um, I would have to take like a full break for a longer amount of time, ideally permanently, <laughs> to to really recover. And so if I have to do any kind of work, then I might as well go full on. Um, so maybe potentially later I can buy back some time. And, you know, my husband thinks this is not the right mindset because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I might never be able to retire and or I might get sick or I might die. And he's right. Right. But I'm curious if you ever thought about it this way. It's interesting because in a way, me going freelance was specifically to avoid this, where I was just like, I want to work less. I like... Okay, so here's something I saw recently. I don't even know where someone made a post recently where they were just like, your employer does not care about you. Like, listen, they they do not care. You're there to kind of like make money for an employer. Yeah. Uh, which, which is also true as a freelancer, of course. Um, so they were basically like, the employer's function and job is to get as much work out of you for as little money as possible. And therefore, your job should be to get as much money out of your employer by doing as little work as possible. (laughs) I kind of like that mindset. Unfortunately, so here's the other thing. I love working. I I love doing stuff. And I think that might be a little bit where a lot of us are trapped um, because even as I say that, I'm just like, well, it's not that I love working. It's that I love doing things. And there's that, like, I mean, of course, we've been taught that value is measured in money and effort to put into a career or society in that way. But 
there's a lot of like perspectives to kind of explore, I think with like, okay, well, if you're exploring pottery half days, multiple times a week, what's the community you're building? What's the community you're gaining access to where there's like a skill share or mm-hmm. uh, even just like you can lean on people. Like that might be a space where you also gain access to like people who can babysit or, <laughs> or mm-hmm. who will be there for you when you can't work or when someone dies or whatever. You know, I think there's so much more that has value than just the kind of like benefits of full-time employment. Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective. I had a funny conversation the other day as well where I was, my daughter, she's almost one and a half now. And I think you know this, we talked about this previously. I was never really into the idea of having kids, was never really on my radar um, I would say more the opposite. I was always very like career oriented and wanted to travel and move around. And of course did a lot of that and felt like that was fully me and could never really see myself as a mom. And now that I have a kid, it's actually pretty wild. As hard as it is, it's really, really f- hard. <laughs> but I keep like fantasizing about having more children and like watching them grow because it is really rewarding on this. I know you don't want to hear this, but like when she <laughs> learns a new word or some new skill, damn, that does yeah. things to me that no success at work has ever done. Um, yeah. I like feel so much more and it's made me more open and vulnerable. And anyhow, so I was just talking about this to a friend um that like oh like maybe I just want to have more children or like oh, I would like to move maybe to a farm or maybe uh, I want to cook more I want to do this and want to do that and they just looked at me and went like Nicole who would have thought like after all these years of trying to find yourself or having this big career and doing this and that like all you wanted to do was just have a bunch of children and live on a farm <laughs> where it's just like it's maybe not this extreme but I did think about that for a while as well because I was thinking so how much of me wanting to have like this big urban career was me and how much of it was just that that's the environment I grew up in and that's what we saw on TV and that's the people that I idolized and that's kind of the only women you could look up to in the 90s and early 2000s were like the few women that maybe chose to sacrifice families to have a career and you kind of then just manifest that for yourself because that becomes your image of success and how much of that is real right Right. And I mean, there is so much surrounding that, that we're just like, we've learned from TV where it's just like, okay, well, you become boring when you have kids or if it's a cishet relationship, the woman stays home with children, you know, which doesn't have to be reality at all. And that's, that's what actually brings me some hope about this day and age is that, um, there is a lot of kind of re-imagining reality that way or like how you can live, um, which really excites me. Like I, I feel like we have access to discover something else or maybe this is just aging. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> all these things that you've believed about yourself your whole life, I think there are just sort of milestones in life where you're just like, oh, wait, um, that might not 
serve me so much anymore. I kind of hate when people use that term or myself, but it is true. And I think maybe the like urban career woman that you were back then was totally you. And like, that was what you needed and wanted then, but also that doesn't have to be forever. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective. And on that topic, something that I was thinking about is, do you sometimes think that that's maybe also just our generation? That we, first of all, we grow tired faster of the things we do. And we are also more open to potentially changing direction. Because I worked with a lot of people, like my parents' age. My dad, he's turning 60 next month. Uh, And I've worked with a lot of people around his age and I feel like a lot of those people are still very excited about their work that they have been doing for at that point like 30 plus years right and oftentimes think like wow like I can't imagine I'm 32 now I can't imagine 30 years from now I'll still be excited about what I'm doing I don't know if that's maybe a natural process of aging or if maybe because we have social media and we have all these networks and we see so much from others in our field and we are also kind of triggered to produce more and do more that we maybe just do become exhausted or fed up earlier. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. And I think one of the conclusions that I've come to is that like the constant newness of information is like we have access to a different level of information of course people have always like read news watch tv i mean not always but have had access to information and it's coming at you fast but now i mean i've thought about this recently i'm just like i think and tying it back to creativity i'm like when i am not careful and just i consume instagram news all these feeds of different kinds that exhausts me and I can't create because I'm like too aware of everything. And I think that's, that's become a really important uh, balance for me. I think it's incredibly important as a human being to stay informed. And we live in a global society where we need to understand what's happening around us and we need to know, and we need to engage and activate ourselves but we also need to remember that our little brains haven't really evolved super fast and we need things of a smaller scale. Right. And I think that's, that's become a way for me to sort of like maintain some form of, I don't know, hope or sanity around my creative practice as well is to like really scale it down. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's some really, really solid advice. Um, another like philosophy book I read quite recently, I think it was called Burnout Society. It's by this German Korean philosopher. Um, and he talks a lot about how we've moved from a society that was kind of ruled by prohibition, you know, like there were a lot of laws and rules and you weren't supposed to do this and you weren't supposed to do that. You know, religion, specifically Christianity played a big role, of course, in the West and we've moved away from that more and more to a society that is exactly the opposite. He calls it the achievement society. So basically we're being told from the day we're born that we're special and we can do anything. And basically yeah. the only person in our way would be ourselves. And in a way that is extremely unfreeing and limiting because you can never feel like you've done enough. 
and you can never feel like you've succeeded because technically there's always more you could achieve. And of course, mm -hmm. yeah. capitalism loves this. <laughs> and yeah. so for me, one of the things that I've tried to do since becoming more aware of this and since trying to, you know, deal with everything that's going on in the world and somewhat maintain my creativity while, you know, for me, the problem with being creative when the world is on fire is that my, because I bring a lot of authenticity to my work, my creativity wants to go into problem solving mode in that direction. So mm -hmm. I would want to write poetry, anti-war poetry now, right? Because yeah. that's what's going on. And that's what it feels the most important thing to do. But obviously no one will pay me for that. Um, and so I have to somehow funnel that creativity to still also be productive in a work context. And what works for me is similar to what you've said. It's to um, limit the time I expose myself to news um, or discussions around these topics, limit myself in terms of how much I want to get involved. I have some friends who are very, very outspoken on social media and in real life, and they talk about these things and they discuss them. And I look up to them for that. And I think that's very important work, but I don't feel like I have the capacity to do it right now. Um, and that for me was a very conscious decision that I make that I don't essentially repost anything political yeah. on my social media, for example, because I feel like, you know, I've informed myself, I've read up on my own, I have my opinion on these things, I support in quiet, but I do not feel like I'm the right person to have a platform. And um, this sounds a little bit like I'm defending myself, which is sad, because I feel like that's definitely something we have to do in this day and age as well, because people always try to group you into are you for or against this and that? And mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that very draining. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that's also uh, something that I mean, I think it's really important for every person to to think about how they're going to do that. And this comes back a little bit to what I was saying too. With like, I think, I think it is really important to stay informed. And I think it's really important to activate yourself. But I think we also have this belief that that only happens on like Instagram stories, which isn't the truth. Like, and that's where like, you can inform yourself and you can share opinions also, again, on the smaller scale or, you know, show your solidarity, show your opinion in places where it has an effect and that doesn't have to be your big public announcement. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, I do think we're slowly moving into a place where that's kind of um, expected also because, I mean, I think um, it's fair to also have a bit of a, like, I don't know, fear of sharing misinformation, yeah. which I'm glad people are flagging these days. Um, but yeah, what was I going to say with that? I think in the end, it's all about like finding the balance, finding the way that you can actually keep it up, both, you know, creatively and as a human being in society. Yeah. For me, um, this also entails just taking more rest. And yeah. I'm really lucky I'm in a job where like we have some hours during the day that we're definitely supposed to be available, but mm -hmm. we are also somewhat flexible. So I work a lot in the early mornings, for example, before most people start, because obviously the kid wakes me at like five. Um, mm -hmm. And then I usually have some productive time again, also late in the evening, which also means that sometimes during the day when I have the time uh, and I feel like I need it, I take a break 
and I go for a long, long run, or I go and I check out a secondhand shop, or I go meet a friend for lunch. And on some days I really, really need that. And I come back so much more refreshed and able to think freely and do work in the afternoon. Um, and that's also something that I want to encourage people to do. I know a lot of people listening, they work remotely and, and they work for companies that are more flexible. Use that flexibility, not just to do your laundry or take a shower, like do something that maybe inspires you or, you know, helps you think about something else that otherwise, if you would just stay in your own little office or your own little home office, you wouldn't be able to, you know, break out of your thinking and what's going on around you, which you consume through social media or other outlets. Yeah. And I think actually the way that I keep myself doing stuff like that is I kind of build it into my, my scheduling. So, I mean, I work a lot in my calendar, so Mm -hmm. I will literally put in like, here's two hours where I'm going to like go to a museum or whatever, so that I can get myself in the habit of rest as well which is really hard yeah i like that Um, and i think you also mentioned earlier something around community when we were talking about pottery but that's also such an important aspect right yeah and i actually wanted to say that because that was something that popped into my head with like talking about like how to stay creative when the world is on fire i think co-creating is really um it's really helpful so uh, just as an example, like I'm, I do reso printing, like a re- risography prints, mm. and I'm part of this like monthly club where we get like a prompt, we submit a print, and then you can like go in person and print your work, but you also meet other creatives there and get some other sort of like input. You get to meet human beings who are from different walks of life, and to me, that keeps me going for sure. Yeah, I love that. I also, I recently started a little group with other women in design here in Stockholm and we try to meet for breakfast and lunches and maybe do other stuff. And it's so nice. And like, similar to you, I also have to put it in my calendar because of course we all have busy schedules and it's extremely difficult to find the time. But whenever we do, it's so worth it. So, and I think this is also an aspect though of, this exhaustion that we specifically maybe feel as creatives and then it's very easy to just say oh like if I have some time to myself I'll just take a nap or like do something by myself or stay in I tend to do that as well but for me it's really really valuable to kind of push myself outside and to do something else so I think that's definitely an important piece of advice here yeah and I think it's easier than then I think a lot of the time too, like, I'll just go like, oh, but it's so hard to find something to do. And then I like open one single like Instagram feed and there's like an event planned for next week where I can go and like meet people. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I guess it is fairly easy. I mean, you just have to click a button basically. So lower the threshold, I would say. Yeah. I think my theme here today is to, to like scale things down yeah, and make it that. easier. Yeah, I love that. And I think like a good thing to note as well is that at least I've been sensing that maybe because of the times we're living in, right? We just made it through a pandemic. Now there's essentially war everywhere and all kinds of other stuff going on where I personally just go like, what the? Um, I think this has also made people more open to connect 
and more yeah. willing to, you know, meet new people or try new things and connect via those things and potentially reconsider their communities. A lot of us also have lost communities, right? Like I lost a couple of friends during the pandemic because they just didn't care. Um, yeah. That was very tough for me. And then I lost some friends while I was pregnant because there was issues with that. And then, you know, of course, I've won new friends, but it's been in flux a little bit. And so I think it's also important to stay kind of open with, to the other people you might meet and what they might be able to do for you. Because I really believe in the the saying, you cosmos, that we're all connected and you don't always have to, it's not beneficial for you to always feel like you're connected to the whole world, specifically when there's bad things going on that you feel like you have no control over and you just need to be a bystander and watch. So for me, it helps to go back to myself and connect, you know, with my neighbors or people I meet randomly in some place where I may be doing pottery or getting into a conversation with someone at Whole Foods. Unfortunately, I usually have to travel to the US for that to happen. In Sweden, people don't speak to me at Ica. But <laughs> those <laughs> little you, moments. I feel like sometimes if you have dogs in Sweden, oh, yeah, that's true. But I mean, there's so many reactive dogs here. Mostly people just like look at you like they're going to kill you if you don't <laughs> remove your dog. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually really appreciate that about Amsterdam. Amsterdam feels like a village that became a city. People will speak to you. People will yell at you, but they will also be very nice to you in public. Nice. And I've come to really appreciate having that way of connecting with strangers. And I think this is also kind of how something that gives me a little hope with like basically ending wars and, and uh, conflict. I'm just like, I think people need to start looking outside of themselves and connecting, like start connecting in the community you're in. Yeah. I think that's gonna kind of translate globally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when it comes to connection, I mean, I talk about this all the time in, in my articles and on the pod and my LinkedIn posts. I think the thing that we say it a lot, but so few people do it. And that is about being authentic and actually sharing <laughs> your truth. And I know that can be really, really scary. I still get scared every time I post anything on LinkedIn because the things I share are sometimes very personal. I share when mm -hmm. I'm sad. I shared when I got laid off on maternity leave. I, I share when I fail. I share poetry that is very vulnerable and people might think it's ridiculous. And all of that is scary, but it's me and it's true to myself. And that's how I want to be perceived. And that for me is how I build connection because I don't care if you think it's like ridiculous what I'm posting, then fine. Like we don't have to connect, but the few people that maybe are touched by it, those are the people I want to connect with. And then we can energize each other. And I think unfortunately with today's social media culture and everything having to be picture perfect and following certain trends and mm -hmm. in a way also cancel culture because of misunderstandings or what other things may be going on. People have become very afraid of being authentic, not just online, I think also in real life or even at work. Yeah. And I find that really sad because, you know, I don't really enjoy going to the office and talking to a bunch of people where I feel like they're not openly sharing what they're thinking. And so I do that a lot, like when I go in and I have lunch with my colleagues or I have fika with them and we usually talk about very like <laughs> on the edge topics and every single time 
several of them usually come to me after and they're like, oh, like, I'm so happy you were here today and we could talk about this. This was actually really fun or you're hilarious yeah. or like, I love your perspective on this. And that energizes me because I know I'm doing the right thing. And I think that's what we need more of. People need to be less afraid. Yeah, because I, I think that kind of, in a way, goes hand in hand with something I think about too with like siloed communities where I catch myself sometimes where I'm just like, if I only talk to like creatives yeah. or only my close friends, uh, so now I'm going against my own advice of scaling down here, but like I think being honest in public whether that's online or uh, in an actual public space. I think that's an important place to meet strangers, basically, or like the human beings around you and to allow people to kind of like be authentic and honest because we're so used to either tailoring to some form of uh, imagined audience or just having our very small spaces where we can relax and I'm, I kind of hope that we can go somewhere where where you don't have to necessarily like censor your authenticity. Yeah, I really like that. And I think this kind of narrates into, for me, this is maybe even a good closing point because I make a very conscious choice to push things a little bit closer to the edge of what maybe, you know, already becomes a little bit controversial or is more of a hot take. And the reason for that is that I think that's the only way change can happen. Like we need people to push forward and to not just accept the status quo. And again, I respect people that do because I know how it feels like. And specifically when you're drained and you're exhausted, you just yeah. keep up with what's going on. And I have those phases too. Um, but when I find the energy to push a little bit further, I felt both in a work, but also in a personal context, that's when good change has happened and, I think if more of us do it, then I think maybe also positive change can happen in the world. And this is probably very idealistic and um, Nietzsche would laugh at me now, but uh, <laughs> that's my take still, still a little hippie. <laughs> well, I think in order to stay creative, you have to dream a little. That's true. <laughs> and does any famous last words you want to give to the listeners? Oh, wow. Um, I'm so horrendous with these things, but honestly, <laughs> just like my final little tip for staying creative and a little hopeful, perhaps it's just like, try a new thing, right. try a new thing. Yeah. That's it. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happened to me with pottery. I've been thinking about trying it for like years and never really got around to it. And then I kept talking about, it, and then my husband actually booked me into a course. And first oh, nice. I was like, oh, like now I have to like spend the whole Saturday doing this. But it was amazing. And I'm so grateful. And, you know, like sometimes listen to your husband is maybe also good advice. <laughs> that really is very good advice. <laughs> All right, Andas, thank you so much for taking this hour to share. I'm really excited about publishing this and seeing what kind of feedback we can collect. And I hope you have a wonderful creative week ahead of you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
welcome to this new episode of Content Rookie. I feel like this episode has been coming a long time and doesn't really need an introduction. We've decided to title it How to be Creative When the World is on Fire. And it's essentially just an open conversation between me and my friend Anders where we try to make sense of what's going on in the world and how we can continue to be creatives and produce good work as creatives and what we do to hang in there. So listen in if you're curious, and as usual, 100% authentic and probably 25% controversial. It's a little bit of a longer episode than my usual episodes, but I think it was worth it to keep this vastly unedited. And I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is Nicole from Content Rookie.